Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Jess and Scott from Three Pillar Global, and we discuss their new podcast, The Innovation Engine. We also discuss why building products is a deeply human experience and how language can be an unconscious indicator of team behavior. And make sure to stay tuned because at the end of this episode, we'll have a quick preview of their new podcast, The Innovation Engine. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Well, hello. How are you guys? All right. It's good to see you again. Dude, it's a party in here today. Look at this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys, guess what? This is very special. Do you know why it's special for me? Very special day. Why? This is my first repeat guest podcast first time we're having guests back on yeah no way really yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow yeah so thank you wow. not you scott get out of here Jessica. <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> well, i love you scott oh, wow. I, I i met you before doesn't that count for something <laughs> that, that is true this is a podcast where we, we did a hyper hyper memorable panel in new, in new jersey so it was good it was a good panel. i thought so it was fun I'm glad and then you remember. we ran into each other at a wedding. <laughs> yes, I love that story. Yeah, so I'm at this wedding and of a of a of a past employee, which shows our culture here is awesome. And yeah. a bunch of us were there, and Chloe, who books our our guests and everything, was there. And and then Jessica walks up to me and she says, "Hey, do you have do you do a podcast?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" It's like amazing, so surprising. And then yeah. we, what was the connection? So it's your cousin. Tom is my cousin. And Tom was marrying Courtney. Yes, yes. Well, there are 27 of us. So I kid you not, my mom was one of nine. So there's 27 of us. Um, so I have a lot of cousins, and that's just one side of the family. You have interesting backgrounds. Jessica, where are you at? Uh, I'm at home. I needed a sub pump replaced, and we had had a flood because the sub pump had failed before. So um, real life, Joel. Real, real life. life. <laughs> So I'm at home in my basement. And where are you at, Scott? I'm in the office, uh, but with the our recording studio doubles as a uh, maternity room. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> hence the refrigerator that located in the uh, maternity room. So real life. Yeah. <laughs> and it's real life all the time. two years pumping for my children. I'm uh, very particular about that. Kind of oh, situation. I thought someone gave birth in the lunchroom. Oh, God, no. Or the recording no, no. studio. It's, it's, <laughs> Most people would call it a wellness room or a mother's room. I don't know why you're calling maternity rooms so much. Like I don't know. Well, you know, my, well, funny story. Okay, we're just to get this off the right track. So my office at Pearson back, this is many ages ago when I was at Pearson Education, my office was a converted maternity uh, room that when I first saw it, it had a cot in it where people could lay down and, and whatever. And I was like, oh, this is going to be my office. Okay, like, let's do this. So I, this feels very natural. This is like a career <laughs> theme for me. And I learned that there's more to maternity than just giving birth. There. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know why I might thought that. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got two kids that are under the age of two. And so... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's the beauty yeah, of know, life. It, 
insights come at all kind all in all packages yeah. and at all kinds of interesting times, yeah. right? So is this what your new podcast is about at Three Pillar, the maternity I, room? You know. <laughs> In, in, insights, yes. <laughs> insights, insights, yes. Working mom problems. Hashtag working mom problems. Uh, no, but I'm always available for consultation. But but the, I, I think there is a theme there, though. We are trying to keep it real. You know, yeah. even as we talk about these big topics, we're trying to get to the really <laughs> gritty, the human side of of doing these big things. So uh, so there's something to that, actually. So what are you guys talking about on your podcast? Lots of things. Um, we have a couple of themes, things that we're interested in, things that we see a lot from our clients and the people that Scott and I run into in the world. Um, they're about transformation and turnaround, prioritization and road mapping, user behavior insights, and growth and evolution are kind of the big topics that we're kind of interested in. They're hairy, they're deep. The, <laughs> we, we've had our own struggles with them. Uh, there's as much art as there is science. So they're, they're definitely worthy topics, we feel like, for, uh, for, for people trying to build gr really great product organizations and, uh, and, and, and work with these topics. What's the name of it? The Innovation Engine Podcast is, so if you go on now, there was, this is a bit of a reboot. Um, so this was something we started a while ago and there's a lot of great interviews with authors. And, and it's really interesting to hear from an author's perspective, but so often it's hard to find people who've got dirt under their fingernails. They've got bruises, they've got scars. They're people who are dealing with the real life challenges of how to do this in their organizations who can share those lessons out with other people who are doing it. And sometimes the authors don't always live in the real world and don't always deal with some of those um, kind of nitty gritty struggles. And we wanted to speak to the folks who are like us, who are just trying to make things work. And so like, how do you get those? So what I have found interviewing people is that like all the people have the bruises and stuff. It's just trying to figure out the people that are willing to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the things that we've been we've been using as a as a methodology for is is you want to get the facts and you want to you want to dive into some of the or the principles that you took into the situation. How did you navigate? What surprised you? Um, and and usually that leads to some really interesting pieces of the conversation where you get some interesting insight. Or um, as I think the the real the human part and Jess is especially keen at this at at seeing that personal moment where you probably struggled with this is is sort of what I'm hearing. And how did you get through that? Because th those are the really meaningful nuggets, right? Those are the things that if you're if you ha if you have those moments in your career, uh, we feel like our, our podcast can can unearth some insights that, are, that carry you through the hard moments because uh, we we know they're there. Um, but but to your point, getting them to be real about that, so it's, you get at the story and the facts, and then you you work into the meta, um, and it, it it's worked so far. We've had uh, we've had some really successful guests on uh, that have, have kind of opened it up and, and said, yeah, that was really hard, and this is. These are some of the tools and techniques and principles that I brought to it, and this is how we work through it. So, so these are these are guests that uh, are talking about this transformation of their company, prioritization of roadmap, behaviors, insights, all of these topics. And so they're like uh, technology leaders, engineering leaders, managers, executives, these types of people, and they're talking about these journeys and basically what you guys do at Three Pillars. So there's definitely Three Pillars because remember that from the podcast mm -hmm. before. Sure. Um, give me a, give me the quick like ten thousand foot view of Three Pillar. Sure, Pro Three Pillar is a product development partner. So we work with clients from startup to enterprises from the first time they get an idea about a product 
through an existing product that would need to be replatformed or re-architected or is struggling to engage with their customers. And we really help our clients achieve their business and customer goals through engineering, product management, user experience, cloud ops, architecture. We really have a lot of capabilities to bring to the table. But the one thing that's always true about everything we do is no one calls us because things are awesome. People call because they need help. Um, they yeah. call because they're missing capabilities. They call because they've tried it by themselves before and it didn't quite work out. And so a particular interest um, for me and Scott is this, this notion of transformation, of turnaround, of how do you evolve? Because these are the things that are we're seeing people go through all the time and, and we want to we want to help them. And so some of it is selfishly us nerding out not going to deny that totally yep. <laughs> and a lot of it is you know i'm in a month i might talk to four different companies and this having the same challenges and and those are the kinds of people who are representative of those challenges we want to have on the show and talk to other folks because we know folks are struggling with that and uh, we hope that our broad experience that scott and i deal with every day it's going to help uh, folks who are listening and, and I'll, I'll just, I'll glom onto that. The one thing that really strikes me about building products that I think catches people by surprise is how much it is a, a deeply human experience for the client, for the team that's building them, for the users you're trying to serve is ultimately you're getting at things that are not intuitive. They're not, so it's not about the technology. Like we're really good at the technology, that's fine. But really where great products get built is in that, that human journey, that how much patience should I have? Um, when, do I, when do I push for clarity? How do I get to clarity? Um, how do I, on, how do I uh, push through the emotional side of uncertainty? Because um, products are a journey. They're, they're discovering, you're, you're finding the right product. And that is, that's really hard for business sometimes to metabolize for organizations to be able to, to, uh, to build in resiliency. And, and so we're really trying to push that humanity into the, into the system of building products and, and acknowledge it. And that's what I think the podcast gives us a, a unique platform to explore those topics in particular. Yeah, I really like the book. I really like the product mindset book. I've like annoyed people with recommending it so much. <laughs> I, was, I had like a awesome. stack of like 10 of them on my desk and I just like slowly, every time it was relevant, was like, you got to read this book. And, yeah. I'll, and, and then we just mail them out. And I don't know, it's when you refer stuff that you like and then it brings value to people, then they remember you for that. And they're like, oh, that person yeah. refers you good stuff. Mm. Yeah, maybe book number, you know, book number one, David and I, it took us about two years to write it and um, a little bit longer than that to figure it out. Um, hopefully in here is book number two. I mean, I, I'm not exactly ready to sign up for that level of work right now, but I think there's something in this story. And, and I honestly, as I look around, I don't see a lot of people doing this. I mean, I'm a voracious consumer of podcasts. Scott is too. Everyone should be listening to yours. Um, but what a lot of what we see, especially when out there looking at some of the books and the publications and things, it's somebody talking about the story of the startup from the garage to the Fortune 500 or something. It's a story of, or it's somebody talking about their methodology or their method or what they should do. There's not a lot about either you just walked into a situation that's really, really rough and you've got to turn it around. Um, that you look around and the things that were working for you a year or two ago aren't working anymore and you need to figure out how to make changes. If you're in an, a company 
um, that had been in business for a while and now is dealing with a whole new set of things. There's not a lot of things that speak to those people. And we really wanted to talk to those people. Oh, nice. So you guys researched the market and what was out there for available podcasts and then built, built. And the way you named it innovation engine, you also give yourself a lot of flexibility for it to, to grow into different things as time goes on. Cause like for here, we started with the modern CTO. It was the idea of like talking about the topics that were in the book that I was writing, the modern CTO book, yeah. which it's like building your first app. You look back on it, you're like that sucks for a hundred <laughs> reasons. <laughs> oh yeah, but I know, I know. It's, it's, and you can't change the book. You can't. No, it's published. I know, but, but then I was thinking, you know, we, a lot of our initial podcasts and we were looking at the different episodes and what had happened and like, where do we like grow? Like, how do we change it and, and grow from here? Because this is something that I never imagined that I would like, like doing. It was something that just kind of happened. And then I was like, well, how do you steer this ship? And yeah. so we've just figured out like, the thing I like is having conversations with people like you guys, like this is fun. Mm. And then yeah. we are all kind of nerdy. So it's not off topic to talk about, like not everything has to be about being a CTO. It could, yeah. My first mm -hmm. branch out was like, oh, anything that brings value to a CTO is mm -hmm. useful on the spot. So then we started to go find like CISOs and like say, oh, give us your security tips. Like what should we be thinking about as CTOs? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And we get yeah. like uh, Musk and Tesla and you can go into SpaceX. You can go into yeah. like different areas because it's, it's fun we're just we're all like smart people like like mm -hmm. to learn and grow and and it, and it ends up being sneakily relevant right mm -hmm. and in really important ways and so yeah why not explore the world's connected right we need all of these things in order to, to yeah. navigate the world so we actually have so to give credit to the name to our marketing team because uh, we did mm. not come up with it <laughs> <laughs> that is true we have that a wonderful we have a wonderful marketing team they did a phenomenal job on the launch of the book um, it's a really hardworking group, and uh, this is all on them. We're just the pretty faces. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, is no, one's, no one's ever called me that before. <laughs> Scott is blushing. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Is that how we got That's here? That's how wow. we got here. Pretty much. Pretty much. You well, thought it was because you knew something. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, and it's honestly, it's amazing because from we'll we'll tell Scott's story from behind the machine, <laughs> from the from behind the machine to the runway, Scott Morrow. <laughs> I, I, this is really awkward. Can we? What's next? <laughs> We're talking about the 2020 Patagonia models. <laughs> this is fun. All right, so oh let's gosh. talk a little bit. I want to talk about uh, exercise and health and and fitness stuff because. You know, one of the things that comes up a lot is um, I get a couple responses when when I talk to different engineering leaders. I get some people who have their stuff together, right? They're like, I know this rodeo, I've been here, but but that's that's pretty rare. I'd say the majority of the time is I'm stressed out because stakeholders want X, Y, or Z from me. I'm stressed out because we're trying to hire 700 people this year, and you know, basically I'm stressed because and then that makes me think of, you know, the stress management techniques that have improved my life. And those have all been like non-technical things. I've never looked and said, pivotal made my life less stressful. Like, <laughs> in my, in my, like <laughs> right. I haven't yeah. done that. I might've said a framework for organization, like some yeah, organizing yeah, yeah. and getting the humans and the project under control has, but I found that the things that help me are, are fitness related or, or health mm. related. And so I'm just curious, like, 
you know, both the, both answer. Um, and maybe Jessica first, like what sort of health things in your life have you found to be useful in managing stress? Yeah, I think it's, a, a you know, in our first episode of the Innovation Engine since the reboot, we talked to Tiffany Kleeman about her transformation. And, and she talks a little bit about that of making sure she gets that time in about how lonely it can be during a transition and how an executive coach was really that person who was her sounding board that she could really trust and how she needed. I, um, uh, fitness is really important to me. It's just always something that has been a part of my life and I feel stronger and I feel more confident when I'm being active. And so whether it's running or climbing or lifting or doing yoga, I try to make sure that throughout the week, there are things built into my schedule and that I have time set aside for those. And that really helps bring down my stress level. If I'm working from home, like I am today, I might go out for a walk or I might go out for a run. So it's like get some time outside. So it's a, it's a huge deal for me. That I, that I do it. I'm also going to be the first person to tell you, I do not always get it right. Like, and that's okay. You know, some days you're going to get it, the workout in some days you're not, and it'll be fine in the balance of them. You get the workout in or the balance of them. You get enough sleep, the balance of them. You drink enough water and eat healthy. You're going to be just fine. So don't, don't be too hard on yourself to be perfect. You don't need to be a CrossFit king and a killer CTO and an amazing parent. Like that's just not, that's not going to happen. That's not real life. That's, that's adding stress. That's like ridiculous, but give yourself be you know, they talk about um, being compassionate to yourself. And if you had a friend that was trying to do all these things and wasn't making it, you would tell them to stop being negative. So stop being negative with yourself. Yeah, I think I, what I love about um, Justice Point there and, and pointing out the, the loneliness that we, we heard from, from Tiffany um, is to pay attention to your mental health. Like it, while, you know, fitness is obviously part of a healthy regime, you know, for me, before Three Pillar, um, uh, basketball was a really important part of my fitness routine, mostly because I was so focused on basketball while I was playing it that I came out, just kind of like cleansed all the plaque in my brain, for lack of a better term. And it was just good for me mentally, even more, just as much as it was physical. And I haven't really been able to replace that since my ankles are, you know, I've gotten old. So I have to find a new sport. I'm actually hunting for one now. But because I started to see the signs of, of uh, just, you know, plaque building up for myself, I'm actually, it's very timely. I'm leaving for Costa Rica on Wednesday and I'm going on a solo surfing trip for a week because that is something I can do. It's really, it's intense and physically, but it's also really good mentally um, as a way to clean the mind out and be, be refreshed and be able to come back with clarity um, to, uh, to the work. Um, so it's really, that's just something I have to be aware of that every once in a while I got to release some of that plaque um, and, uh, and pay attention to that. So I think, it's, I think it's really important to have your temperature gauge on and, and be paying attention. Yeah, have you ever, so like you were getting the, the stem cell therapy for your ankles? <laughs> no, I've no, heard about that for knees. I, I'm writing that down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've heard about people get them injected um in the, in their knees, but no. Yeah, like any, uh, any sort of like ligaments too. So my uh my wow. my parents own like wellness centers and so they're always on like the brink of like the latest stuff that works because they read the scientific papers wow. they're like they're like wow. the people that do that you know and then yes. everyone else writes an article on top of it that's 50 percent. so they're they're early adopters of health technology yeah. I get they it. are yeah. yeah they really are yeah they they wait until they see enough studies and then they try stuff in their patients and um 
Yeah, they've had a lot of success. I was actually just up at their uh, clinic this past week, and they their um, uh, ultrasound. So they'll use ultrasound to scan and be able to see like your ligaments and your muscles, and like, uh, and then they'll actually inject like stem cells and some other things into into it directly. Wow. And then they say some of the times they'll be doing the ultrasound, and they'll actually find the person has a tear, and we'll send them away for surgery um, mm. because it can't they can't inject into it because it's torn. But it's really interesting how these are like technologies that we've had for a long time. We're just using them in like new ways. We've had ultrasound yeah. for a yeah, long which, time. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. I love anytime we can do that, right? Where, you know, it's like the, 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 my favorite example of this is the flathead screwdriver. Think about all the things that a flathead screwdriver gets used to be, yeah. you know, to do that has nothing to do with the screwing a screw in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a fantastically flexible tool. And I, I used to always think about APIs as products that way, um, that they, if they're built right, they're, they're the flathead screwdriver of technology. They, they should be omni-capable in ways that the builder didn't anticipate. Um, so super fun. And that's, it's really neat to see it applied to health though, where it can make, yeah. make humanity better. Yeah. That's great. I, I'm curious. So now we're talking about technologies and screwdrivers and them being like really applicable. So at, at three pillar you guys have such a large engineering organization you augment other teams things like that at what like how do you how do you approach new technologies like when you see a new screwdriver or something coming up like at, how does that seep into like your tool belt hmm. um so a couple different I'll, I'll comment on this i'm sure jess will have a different perspective um from where she sits but um for for me, there's a combination of trying to really understand like the the technology, what its limits of its capabilities are, what it really does. There's always a hype cycle, so you have to you certainly have to peel back the you know blockchain is going to solve everything. It's like well, blockchain has a very specific purpose um, for what what it was intended to do. It also has a number of limitations on what kinds of healthy systems you can build based on that technology. So part of it is just getting to the real what does this thing really represent, um, and then part of it is is un and then understanding the hype cycle, and then it's paying attention to demand. Um, so I usually have engineers who are really interested in new technologies, the people who want to be early adopters, who want to get after uh, the new thing. Um, and so we have ways, we certainly have ways to, to do what I call tinkering. Um, and so we have our communities of practice, for example, who might set up, uh, you know, workshops to play with, let's say, voice or natural language processing or, you know, AI and, and ML uh, toolkits as they, as they develop. So we definitely encourage a lot of tinkering because I think tinkering can lead to good technologists to lessons and insights that maybe don't apply to that particular tool set, that maybe apply to the tool set they're used to using on a daily basis. So I definitely encourage a lot of exploration um, that way, but whether or not we're gonna invest in it is gonna be, a, that needs to be a business decision. Um, that is gonna be one that's gonna be driven by, are we seeing the demand in the marketplace? And if not, why not? Is it because we're not positioned in the marketplace to take advantage of it? We have great technologists with excellent instincts and judgment. They may not be familiar with a particular technology that you're interested in playing with, but technology should never be your starting point for building a product anyways. So let's talk about the product you want to build. And we'll certainly put all the options on the table in terms of what technologies might support that, that product outcome that you're trying to accomplish. Um, but, you know, I have a couple of really fun stories where someone came to us and said, you know, I need, I need machine learning so that um, we can do a, like a product recommendation engine um, for our, our product catalog. And it's like, great, how many products do you have? The 14. Okay, uh, how many products do you release a year? Like one to two. Uh, you don't need ML. <laughs> like it's we can we can code up a, a recommendation engine for you. It's just a decision tree. It's not it's not really, you know. So sometimes people are in love with the technology and and not looking at value. 
Um, and so we certainly want to be the company that can be that trusted advisor that guides them through that. If we see a technology that is needed for a particular um, use case, like three times, then we'll start investing in having a perspective and a, and a, and a more strongly opinionated stance on that technology. Um, but ultimately, the, the utility of technology is entirely in service of business outcomes. And so we want to stick close to that as the way that we, we invest. Um, but then on the craft, craftsperson side, um, yeah, let's play freely with technology because it, it, there's always a chance we'll get an insight um, just by looking at a problem solved in a new way. Um, so we, we definitely encourage that. Uh, Jessica, he was he mentioned these like communities or workshops or things. Is that happening in, internally at, at Three Pillar? Yeah, um, across all of our delivery centers and across the world, we have communities of practice. People who are really focused on a specific technology or specific practice who get together and they're sharing challenges, they're sharing ideas, they're sharing what they've learned, they're investigating new technologies. And so the beauty of working at a place like Three Pillar is that exposure. You know, I have a, a good friend, he was in ed tech, he was in um, three different ed tech um, companies and he was looking for his next role a while ago. And I'm like, dude, you gotta get out of ed tech. You're too narrow. Like if you don't move now, you're gonna get locked in. And so I think you start to really know a few things, but there's so many blind spots that you have, so many things you can't see. And the benefit of being part of a community of practice is you can see how people are doing in financial services and health and wellness and media and information services. You can take the things that your colleagues are doing in completely unrelated areas and bring them to where you are. It really enriches the work that you're doing on your project and really helps everyone learn from each other and expand your knowledge at a rate that is just not possible if you're at a company that only does one product in one kind of market. So I think this communities of practicing is going to bring listeners a lot of value because I haven't had yep. someone come in and explain it. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So um, first, can you give me context? How, how large is Three Pillar as an organization? Yes, we have roughly 800 uh, practitioners, craftspeople um, at Three Pillar currently and growing, growing. And you're across the globe, Always right? Growing. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, so right now we have, uh, we have five delivery centers three in Romania, three different cities in Romania where we have offices, um, and uh, one in Noida and one in the U.S. With, with remote work in each of those countries. And then so who organizes these communities of practice? How does this actually, like let's say I'm a company, I'm about your size, I haven't mm -hmm. implemented this concept yet. Do you have a person dedicated to organizing the communities? How does this actually roll out if I wanted to copy it? Oh, this is one of my favorite stories of Three Pillars. So um, yeah, this is- Oh, you, you just hit on his like yeah. favorite thing ever. <laughs> I love this. Well, the, the coolest thing about the communities of practice, I think, is that it was a grassroots initiative. So there was a, an engineer in, in uh, Timisoara, Romania, that came to his boss one day and said, I really want to know what's going on in other projects. Can I do this? Can I, can I organize a meeting where we talk about what's going on and just share some things? Like, I feel too isolated. And I know I'm sitting around other people that I could learn from. And so entirely grassroots driven, um, this, this gentleman, um, he's now, he's a legend in, in Three Pillar now. Um, don't tell him that though. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he started this thing and he's a front end engineer, um, a front end JavaScript guy. And, just, and so he started this community to sort of talk about JavaScript and front end and, and uh, that just grew. People, people gave up their time to, to meet with other people in their field that they respected and to hear their stories or offer comments and suggestions. And so as that, that, that began to evolve, this is all off the sides of people's desks. This is a grassroots initiative. 
um, you know, I, I upped the game. I was so in love with this that I was, I, I did a tour of our delivery centers. So this had gained traction before I, uh, before I took this role. And what I contributed is I said, you know, there's something really magical in seeing craftspeople explore their craft authentically and with their own passion. What can I do to help and not, I do not want to make this corporate. I want to keep it grassroots. This is driven by the people for the people. This is all about your interests and, and how best you can serve each other and how you can challenge and, and support one another. So I let every, every community is organized differently. Our DevOps community, for example, um, tends to take in challenges that different in, uh, individuals are facing and they just work the problem as a group um, so they can help each other where they struggle. Uh, so it's a lot more request uh, response. It's a smaller community. Then our, our front end communities are huge and they're organized by cities. So there's a, a, you know, each city has their own chapter um, because they're pretty large. They tend to be presentation based. If you come, you present on a topic, you get feedback on that. Um, and, then, and, and that's how they organize. Um, they might run different community meetups and, and things like that, either try to help with recruiting. Um, there was an interesting case. Uh, I just heard about one of our uh, communities. I mean, it's so, it, there's just such, there's such rich stories here. Uh, one of our QA folks um, who's in Yash, Romania, invited uh, one of the um, key developers to a, a web kit that contributes to Selenium. And he invited him as a speaker uh, to come, the entire community of practice is going to come to this event where he's going to speak internally just to our teams. Then we're going to do an external event. Um, so it's just a great set of things. And this is entirely grassroots. We, nobody from management asks anybody to do anything. It's passion driven. Um, I was like, hey, can I give you guys pizza money or something? Yeah. Like, what, what can I do? Uh, I, you know, and now we're aligning our conference attendance to the communities. Um, I just, I love fueling this kind of crass, uh, you know, crass person interest. Um, and passion, and and we're trying to do that as, in as many places as we can because it's just why why would you not? Uh, but it's 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 wonderful, but it is very self-directed, and that's that's something that I'm I'm fiendishly protective of. Uh, this is not I don't direct it, I don't have any authority over it. I believe wisdom is in the craftspeople that that do the work, um, and so this is all a platform for them. So, like, how did they did the word just spread? Like the first community happened, and then someone at one delivery center heard that. Like, how did that information spread? Like just through Slack oh, and boy. talking or <laughs> something like something, something like, like that. that. It's been, so years ago, it didn't. So I've been with three pillar for six years. I remember being, uh, coming into a, a team to help. And, um, it was a search and it was Lucene solar. And they said, well, we don't know how to tune Lucene solar. We're going to really have to study. And I was like, guys, there's 800 of us. Somebody knows this. And so we didn't used to have this, um, built-in sense that you were part of a larger organization that you could plug into. And even if you plugged into a larger organization, you'd probably keep it in your center, your office, so your city, and not necessarily think, well, you know, somebody in India might have the answer to this, or somebody in Romania or, or Fairfax might have this answer. And so I think as we started to use group messaging more, and we don't use Slack, we use a, a different one, is that that created opportunity for people to collide and then start to share. And the other thing is in our group, the product development leadership group, there's a lot of people who aren't, as Scott saying, controlling, but they're connecting. They're saying, hey, you guys are working on this. Have you talked to so-and-so? Have you, do you know these people over here? You might want to, you guys should talk, like you should be. And so part of the nurturing is pizza money for or pizza and beer money, depending on the situation. <laughs> um, but also um, the leadership of the organization 
using their networks in order to connect people together. And, and that's a great way for leaders to nurture these things and say, you two should meet, you two should talk. There's something to be exchanged here and then let the people do, um, do things on their own. But I think create those opportunities for connection, um, that intersection, as if you were at a, um, like a cocktail party and you have that person who just, when you walk in and you're like me, you're like super awkward and I don't know, oh God, I don't know anybody. And I'm desperate to talk to somebody like, come here, you need to meet so-and-so, talk to them about this thing. You're like, awesome that you just made my night. Um, that's something that leaders can really do to nurture these communities. And you don't have to be as big as we are to make it happen. That's right, yeah. And I'll add too that, that, that this year is really interesting because um, our communities are mature enough that we've actually now, we've, we've a little bit changed the model in that we're giving the communities authority to define the standard of three pillar and to iterate on it. So we've actually, you know, we have a, a quality framework that, that Jess actually works on um, in terms of like packaging and client presentation around like how we talk about quality at three pillar, but the actual nuts and bolts underneath that, we, we seed that to the COPs now, to the communities of practice, and we ask them to iterate on what is front end, so good example, um, what is front end developments or, or front end practices view on security? How does that translate into that practice? How can we provide more support to other future front end engineers of three pillar um, so that they can achieve a high, our very high bar for security and how we think about that? Um, and so there's just so much rich material here for the, for the community then to take on a business challenge. I still protect the principle of autonomy, that the, the communities are the ones that are gonna tell us the right answer, um, but I'm also giving them a business objective. Mm -hmm. and, and so more than just a, hey, we, we have things to share and things in common, we should get together. Now it's, no, actually you're an important arm of the, of the business um, and in evolving our standard to be timely and, uh, and, and, and hold ourselves to that high standard of quality that we have here. So this community thing, it, it, the episode hasn't aired yet, I don't think. But uh, I talked with this guy, uh, Bill, at GetClear. Have you heard of GetClear yet? They're like a mm -mm. analytics, code analytics. Uh, that's probably the worst way to describe it. <laughs> but, but you get the set of it, right? Yeah, and, you can look it up. Uh, I, was looking, I was looking through like their features and stuff, and they had um, one of the areas that I thought was pretty interesting because it'd come up on the podcast a lot was they they hook into your github or whatever your repo is and they do all this analytics on your code and it's supposed to help for like developer productivity and and these types of things but the one like the small feature i found really really interesting uh was they can look at what areas engineers are spending time in like writing a lot of code in so for example if i was having to be working a lot on selenium it could look mm -hmm. at that and say, okay, like here's all the people working on Selenium a lot. And here's all the people working on this technology. And you could see the people based on what technology they were working on. And that reminded me of like my first thought when I saw that was, well, you could probably expand that and like help connect those people and build little communities around it. And because I don't uh, manage uh, 500 plus engineers, right? I don't have exposure to those types of problems but I do get to talk to a lot of people. So now I'm kind of fishing mm -hmm. around in the marketplace and I'm, yeah. I'm asking you, are there tools that have done that before? Um, have, you, have you seen anything in that area? I haven't. The challenge for us is we might have 200 teams um, who are working on 50, for 50 different clients. They're deploying to 50 different repos. 
Yeah. Because we, oh, yeah, we, we typically deploy to our client's environment and not our own environment. It's very rare that we're in one of our own managed environments. But even when we do that, our intention is to transfer to the client. So um, I think that's a really interesting tool um, for, uh, you know, we have clients who have eight teams, 10 teams. Um, they have some teams that are in-house and some teams that are out, you know, external. That would be a really interesting one. But for us, now we're working on ways of um, collecting that information, but right now we have to kind of do it on a uh, on a user generated basis because we don't we don't have access to our clients' repos. Yeah, because I'm still I'm, I'm still curious about that problem because like this is definitely not the purpose of Get Clear. Like this was not the like the plug for Get Clear. <laughs> right? It's not yeah. like go here. It was just yeah. one small thing I noticed because people have been talking lately on the podcast about how they're creating Slack communities and Slack channels for yep. specific technologies. And I keep hearing when I'm out there in public and you know, like Scott, we were out there in public, like I keep hearing people talking about, oh, we're trying to connect people who are solving the same problems in our organization together. And so yeah. that's just been in the back of my mind. And then you guys brought up how you do it so well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's, well, it's interesting. So Git Prime is, I mean, the, the name similarity is, is there, but Git Prime is one that I've been, I've had my eyes on um, because, you know, part of Git Prime's stated value proposition is, is, uh, it, you know, they're pulling out of the repos, they're pulling behavioral metrics, you know, mm -hmm. cycle time, um, commits, rework, you know, things that are very aligned to um, some of the, some of the principles that we believe in, but I'm not sure they're measuring them the way that, that I, I, I would. So I'm being challenged more and more to, to articulate, uh, what do I agree or like about get prime? What do I, what do I have an opinion that differs from, from them on? But the, this idea that we can look at behavioral analytics of our engineers and be able to give thoughtful insights back to them is a really neat concept. Um, and, and like you said, it's not the commercial purpose for most of these tools. Um, usually it's about, um, you know, something else, but, but there, it feels like there's potential to say, Hey, there's something going on in the system here that maybe we're not looking at. And that's, that's a really cool, it's always cool when you can, when you can do that. Same thing we would do with user analytics, right? Like, Hey, everyone yeah. seems to be using this one feature a lot. Why do we know? Um, yeah. What are we not asking? Uh, you know, so same, same concept. And uh, Git Prime's gone now. They got bought by a plural site. They're called like something, some pr sub product of plural site now. But we had them on. Know we had that. Travis on. He's the founder. Of <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, he's like out in Colorado. We talked about moose. Oh, cool. Moose and niece, the plural of moose. <laughs> Mooseses. <laughs> uh, moose. Good episode. But, but Get Clear, Get Clear came out as like a. Um, they have an interesting story because they saw a couple of them emerge, uh, mm. and, and they they had seen uh, you know Get Prime, and there was a couple other ones um, like Penpoint and some other ones. But they they mm -hmm. went they were like a spinoff of a company, like an internal product at another organization. And they were, they were hmm. trying to figure out like, how do we create something to actually help us? And then they used it for a couple of years and then they decided to spin it out. And so they didn't have That's any great. pressure of like, they could, they screwed around and, and came up with their own unique concepts. And uh, you actually may want to talk to them because I think one of their concepts in their thing is that they can make their own analytic insights hmm. from it. So Hmm. Um, yeah that's great yeah. interesting who knows i'll connect bill's a cool guy too by the way he like flew down here and we had lunch and stuff he's like really cool oh, dude. Huh? yeah we have we oh, have wow, a nice. we have like a in in person setup now oh yeah in person, yeah <laughs> we do yeah you, you guys upgraded in, 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 interview space yeah <laughs> we do we upgraded sorry i got off i got <laughs> off topic but yeah that's, well, that's I think what was the topic 
Well, any, uh, it, we see it all the time. And I, and I think it's one of the things that happens is that as an organization grows, it diverges. It diverges in technical people who maybe not aren't talking to each other and sharing practices. It diverges in different departments that are focused on different things and they aren't necessarily thinking about the connective tissue between those things. We see it diverge in um, prioritization and strategy. So it's a real common challenge and one that we're really interested in on the innovation engine is to understand from people who've been through these cycles of rapid growth and transformation, how do you keep it hanging together? Because we see what happens when, and we're often coming into organizations, and I've, I've done it a bunch of times, where they have lost that cohesion. And they've got a collection of stuff that doesn't seem to add up together. And so, you know, it's interesting that, it's funny, as you're describing that tool, I'm like, gosh, that also sounds like a strategy problem. Like, if they don't know what the whole technologies that they're using, my second question is, do they know what mountain they're climbing? Do, do they know what they're trying to do? Do they have agreement on principles of what good software engineering is? Do they have agreement on principles on good design? Do they have a sense of, of what they're solving for? That just like that that just gets the consultant spidey sense pinging that there's maybe some interrogation in these organizations to see like, are we all going the same? Do we do we all know where we're going? Are we all headed the same direction? Because that seems to be a common um, problem in organizations. And as I've interviewed a lot of product leaders for some internal research, you know, number one thing they're telling me is like what they spend time on is alignment, alignment, alignment. Like how do we get all these people focused on the right things, agreeing kind of with directionally where we're headed and what the prioritization we've made is. And so I think there's something to, why does something like that have to exist? Like, I think it's because of these growing scaling organizations have all these repercussions and you're seeing people solve for bits and pieces of them. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you too, because of the, um, it, the, it's also these conversations become a little bit clouded because like there's the context of the size of the company, like the, mm -hmm. the level of maturity and the the rate of growth it's currently in because it's amazing because sometimes i talk to people they've got no problem like no huge problems at all like everything's like you know running it, they've got it down at least for this like period of time yeah. um and it's just uh-huh yeah but communication is what yeah <laughs> no i'm serious there there is some yeah. like <laughs> i i really because i go out and visit these companies like some of these companies <laughs> there's no talent shortage right? Yeah. They have no mm -hmm. shortage of talent. I think one, one good yeah. example of it was, yeah. uh, I think it was like kayak I talked to because the yeah. culture there is just there. They have an extremely good culture and that's created this need of all of their friends wanting to come work there. So whenever they have mm. openings, right, they can pull them in. So that, that's a very different problem. Like kayak, maybe going from 500 engineers, to 700 en engineers than it is when I'm talking with like the CTO of Walmart, whose who's primary responsibility that quarter was finding real estate because they had to physically find locations to house 4,000 engineers <laughs> this year. Mm. Right. So it's, wow. it's like, right. yeah, it's really, it's really interesting the different problems people are having, but I've, I've noticed yeah. that it all can be boiled down um, to culture. Like 
yeah. certain or the culture within organization and that's one of the things that drew me to three pillars and especially interacting with uh, all the different parts of the organization from marketing to i talk to some of your business development people i talk to you know, the owners and, and the executive team and one thing you guys have and one thing that i noticed the successful or in the stable companies have although waves come they seem to, to mm -hmm. handle them is they all have a culture they all want to achieve greatness they all have a mission they do have a good focus and the leaders are really really good at aligning that focus well, I, I, and yeah, we talk a lot about cultures. It's, it's, it's a very intentional part of it. But what's hard is exactly what, what Jess was talking about is, is protecting culture when the conditions, the, the facts on the ground have changed. You're going to have to use a different set of techniques to accomplish the same principles. And so being really aware of what are the principles that lead you to that culture and then being thoughtful about, okay, how would I do this if we doubled size or if we had five offices instead of one? No. You know, when, you, when it was six engineers and, and David DeWolf, the, the founder CEO, it was a very different set of techniques to maintain cohesion, right? It was a table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was one table. Yeah. Um, it wasn't hard. Um, everybody in the same room together, you have cohesion. Now we have to invent things like communities of practice. Now we have to scale them. We have to make sure they feel effective. They feel supported um, while also not feeling corporate. They're still, they're still every bit as authentic and genuine. So I, I really try to come back to first principles. Um, and I encourage teams you know, and companies to do that too. If we, if we care about high-performing teams, you know, hiring Git Prime as a tool, for example, to um, develop performance metrics for individual engineers, there's a trade-off there to psychological safety. If we, if we believe psychological safety is an important thing or that, you know, then we need to think about like, how, is the, how are those metrics going to be felt and received by the team? How does that turn into a, a healthy culture and not, not a degrading one? Of course, there's no problem with accountability and, and we got, you know, engineering teams are expensive. So we have to we have to look at things like that, but understanding you're making a principal trade-off and then being very thoughtful about that is uh, if you want to maintain culture, you have to operate from, from principles. And so a lot of the work that Jess and I do in the Innovation Engine podcast is to try to push on the principles and see how those evolve through these, these trying situations. Because that's where that's really where the the really interesting insights are yeah. to us. Yeah, because the analytic software inherent like in itself is not bad. It's what you start mm -hmm. how you start to interpret and enact the metrics that you're receiving from those. Yeah. And that's like mm -hmm. where the that's how it can get out of hand really fast. That's how like an inexperienced leader could be like, we're gonna do this and we're gonna watch this metric and then like yeah. We're gonna tie bonuses to We've it, and like that. every yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes yeah. pretty yeah. bad, pretty fast. That, that flathead screwdriver can be a, can be a weapon too. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. I just recently, um, I recently read the book um, uh, Upstream. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've had a brain fart. Yeah. Upstream by by Dan Heath, and he talks about Andy Grove from mm. Intel and paired metrics. And I love this idea as mm. you pair metrics because if you say what's really important is we get to market fast you're going to have probably some quality issues and potentially some security. And I think privacy is more and more and more important every day, but it's like you have to put these two things together such that in order to win, you cannot let one overcome another. And so this idea of paired metrics, what's the, what do you, what are you trying to drive and what's going to prevent harm when you drive it? And how do you put these things together? It's just something that I, it, it was, I guess it's something that I knew about, but it, you kind of love it when someone puts a name on something so it becomes very easy to convey that idea. And I thought that was a, a really good one. And that if you want to drive something, but you don't want to mess this other thing up, you've got to kind of look at both together. And um, 
looking at different ways to measure. There's definitely um, a couple of guests on the um, on the list coming up who I've talked to in other venues and I've been like, oh wow, that's really smart. And so my new favorite game is like, do you want to be on my podcast? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. No, and can I want you to talk about play? this. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I go over and play? Um, so like as I'm as I'm like, you know, we're always out talking to people, talking to our clients, talking to prospects, talking to people in the community. And now it's like, wow, that's an awesome idea. So many people need to hear about that. Can you come talk to me about it? Can you come talk to about this thing? Um, and also getting to hear from people you haven't. There's, there's definitely some luminaries who have been on a lot of podcasts and done a lot of shows and they have great stuff, but I think they tend to repeat the same stories on every podcast. And I have never done that when I was doing a book promo thing. Um, but we're, we definitely want to have different and diverse voices of people that maybe you haven't heard of before, but they have a unique take on things. They've solved a unique challenge or a common challenge in a unique way that we think people want to hear from. Yeah, I've struggled with that. Like you don't want to tell the same stories over and over. Like yeah. <laughs> my recent one is- you, Even off. if they're great. Yeah, even yeah. if they're great. No, I, yeah, I, I know. I shut I off notifications. <laughs> like I shut off 100% of notifications on my phone <clears throat> the past two, I mean, week two. And like, I wanted to tell every person I met that. And I'm like, Jake, we're probably just gonna have to cut that story out of the podcast. Cause if people hear that back to back, they're gonna be like, shut up. <laughs> oh, by the way, when you go on vacation, like turn off please. No, turn it off. I, do, I actually, you know what? I turn them off when I go on a vacation and then I forget to turn them back on again. Yeah. But I had to go through, I actually, I felt like an idiot. Cause I emailed Tim Cook. I was like, I was like, Hey bro, do not disturb. It's not working. Like Slack notifications are getting through. And what I found is that the do not disturb only prevents your phone from lighting up. Like yeah. when you light your phone up, mm. the notification stack is still there. Oh. Uh, so I can't check my time without my brain, like, at, you know, reading the other things. So I actually went into each app and I turned off. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Except mm. for text because I have kids and a, and a wife and I yeah, no, 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 that's yeah. the one that always goes through. Your family. Gotta leave one channel open. Yeah. Yes. One channel open. Like, like it's, like it's 2000 and, 12. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I tell my team. I'm like, WhatsApp, because the international company, right? It's WhatsApp or SMS. Like, if you want an answer now, you need me now, you you call, you WhatsApp, you SMS, I'm on it. Otherwise, I get to you when I get to. I have to ignore everything else or else I don't get I just turn it. Yeah, I just turn that stuff on and I get to it when I get to it. But like, if you need me, I will be there. This is the path. It's a productivity issue too, because what happens is you can't stop your mind from seeing it. And then your brain starts to formulate an idea and a response. And you're basically doing yeah. all the work twice because you can't respond right then because you're doing something else. So you yeah. then ignore it, but your brain still thought it. And then later you go yeah. back and it's, it's, it's really, it's these notifications snuck into our life, like the yeah. frog in boiling mm -hmm. water. And I think we need to get out, rid of them. Like just put a time on your calendar to check your phone. Yeah, I have a I have a really funny podcast yes. story um, <laughs> that I'll tell about Jess. Yes, uh, I love it. She's thanks, I love thanks, it. <laughs> thanks for that. That's I mean, wonderful. I mean, come on, the ball the, the ball is on the tee. I, I know, have to swing. Um, but uh, we were in the middle of of doing a podcast, and we're we're in this interview, and all of a sudden, I, I see I see Jess look down at her phone, and I just hear her face like just drop, and I'm like, uh, okay, well, you know, we're we're mid podcast here, so we're just gonna keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but the but the the body language and the facial expression completely changed. Afterwards, it was one of our one of our peer uh, leaders here, one of the executives here at uh, Three Pillar, and 
you know, Jess is, Jess is an open book as am I, we're just, you know, we wear, we wear our emotions. And so it was just, it's just so funny. It was, it was exactly fire that drill. moment. Well, the funny thing is like, I'd made a point, we would record them two back to back. I made a point of handing my, I will hand my, I hand my phone over, especially if like my husband's traveling and I'm the only person that the, our school is going to call. I will put my hand my phone in the hands of someone else and I will take my watch off because I have a smartwatch. Um, I had done that for the first podcast of the day and I had left my phone on the table for the second one. And I was like, <laughs> never again. I'm like, okay. So we did a, we did a quick retro after the fact. And it's like, do not let me start with a phone anywhere near me. And I will take off my watch. I like, even if I have all my notifications off, I just don't want these things near me. And I think it was Adam Grant who uh, posted some research about even if the phone is on the table, if you can see it. Mm -hmm. um, so being not a dude, I often, I, I have a bag. And so I would just like, like to keep my phone in the bag. Um, the guys always just put it in their pockets or something. But um, I always try to keep my phone on the table. Speak for yourself. I carry a grocery bag with me. A plastic grocery <laughs> bag. <laughs> not just kidding. <laughs> I, like, I, I always fail to see how gender means I have a pocket, <laughs> but okay. I, well, okay. Let me actually, I, I gender understand. affects this because I often don't. Because if you see, wear a dress. I, see, I carry the grocery or, bag and yeah, that way everyone bag, thinks yeah. I just went to the store. <laughs> <laughs> no one gives me crap for it, but if I carry it around the leather bag, all my guy friends would <laughs> hassle me for it. Do you just see me? <laughs> The only time I get crap oh. is when I'm in California because it's plastic. <laughs> I probably bring paper one. <laughs> oh man! I don't do this. Oh, well, whatever you know, thing. whatever gets the <laughs> job this done. Everybody has got their something. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, note to self: <laughs> keep your things away from you. Um, and what do you uh, do when you wear dresses, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> you go grocery you know, bag or you go extra large 1980s father wallet. <laughs> I just I just tuck it into the top, you know. You just <laughs> I, I yeah. This is great. Yeah. Well, the this other funny not... thing is that like marketing like approves certain clothes that I wear. So. Like, oh really? You can't is, be trusted to make true. your own decisions. I like it. Well, I think you guys all look very right. stylish. Is that an well, actual three pillar <laughs> jacket? Yeah. No, we're definitely we're both wearing swag today. Yeah, yeah. I, we're on there. brand we're on I, brand. I used to be shy about it but what i've started doing like the past two times is like can you i'm requesting swag now like can you send me like one thing you know send me like all your stuff like a hat yeah. or because i actually we haven't given you anything before i mean i bought a lot of the books and i think you gave me a couple of books and then we bought some on top of that but like um no because i i realized that if i get to wear it around then every i have cool conversation pieces people are like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll be like oh yeah, yeah i talk to these people go listen to their episode like I like doing yeah. that. It's a lot of fun. Well, it's cool. Yeah, it's we'll conversation Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know what's funny is that we're in um, the D.C. area. And, you know, every couple, every other month or so, like, some, it's a pretty frequent thing for us to be on the train between D.C. Mm -hmm. and New York. And you run into a lot of interesting people on the train. And more than once, people have seen a backpack or a sticker on a laptop and said, oh, you guys. And then it's like started a conversation. So yeah, I, I was randomly sitting next to an SEC chairman 
And I was like, this guy, you ever, you get to play a game, you're like, this guy's someone important. I just got a sense of it. He's got a staff traveling with them. They're talking about stuff. He seems super political. And he finally says his name, <laughs> I like low, low key Google him. And yeah, he's one of the SEC chairmen. Oh, there you SEC go. Commissioners. Yeah. And I just, the funny thing is it popped up really fast because I had listened to a podcast he'd done like a couple weeks before. I'm like, man, this guy's really smart. And I was across the hall. He's across the aisle from me and I didn't say anything. You didn't tell him. You should be like, like I didn't know until it was like, I didn't realize that that was him until we had both gotten off the train, which is a total missed opportunity. Maybe he could be on the podcast. Invite him on, invite him on to your podcast. You don't don't remember me, but I was the, the I don't know if you would share the whole story. Yeah. I don't know if you would share the whole story because it'd be like, yeah, I was watching you on a train once. (laughs) Can you come on my podcast? (laughs) Let marketing figure out how no. to make the introduction. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think we'll pass on that. I'm not good at that. marketing. So here's a here's a fun question that I think is you you mentioned we talked about culture and office space. So it got me onto an interesting topic that is very timely. Um, coronavirus. We're mm. about to see what many people think is going to be a massive work from home experiment. Um. Mm. A lot of organizations who probably have work from home now, but they do it the way I am, which is, you know, there's a plumber here. And so I need to be at home. How, what you've seen, how are organizations with these wildly distributed, where people aren't in the office together, how do they have community? And not just within the people on their team, but within the other groups in the company. Because I think we're all gonna have to do a lot more of it than we have before, at least in the short term. And, and I suspect it might be one of those kinds of things where once people get used to it, they do it more. Um, so what are you seeing in terms of, you know, how people are creating community and connections when a lot of people are going to be remote? Well, so like, I like the concept of talking about remote because there's a couple layers to it. So the first one is like your organization is already remote because you have these different delivery centers, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like that act. And when we talk about that a lot of the feedback I've gotten is well, we let each delivery center type area function of the business that's in a one geographical location, they, they sort of have their own focus. Like they connect back to our parent company focus, but they yep. also have their own thing. But then this is sort of like a newer thought when you're saying, how do you take, like if we're all in this office and then we all start to work remote. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, at our company, we have ha- had it hybrid. So, you know, we're smaller, we like 10, 15 people, but um, we've had it to where people were fully on location. We've had it to where mm-hmm. we're kind of remote. And I'd say the, the, the thing that has helped us the most is we act remote first. So like when we have meetings, like even though we're in the office, we all run in different rooms and we'll jump on our, our Slack because then there's no differentiation between the person who's in the mm-hmm. other room and the person who's in New York mm-hmm. or Denver. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a newer area. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess in hindsight, it's going to boil down to communication and then, right? Yeah. I think most people, most in, like we have project teams that are in multiple countries and they function really well. I'm particularly interested in connectivity between like people who aren't part of your, your team that you're on, that you're interacting with every day. Um, Cause we do things like cameras should be on and the same thing. It's like, you off? don't let that on. On. Oh cameras yeah. We, we always do cameras on. You have to have cameras, cameras on. on. Um, and do people do cameras do. off? That's a thing. I guess, I guess that would be a thing if you're older. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, there are individuals. I mean, it's, it's all, I mean, it's, it's just the lack of awareness, right? Like when you turn your camera off, it's less, 
there's less human contact. And it's not obvious to an engineer who's like, I'm not even going to speak in this meeting. Or if I do, it's going to be for two seconds and stand up. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, they need to see your body language. They need that. That, yeah. that actually adds value. And, and it's not always obvious to the people who are, you know, a, a junior engineer who this is their first time working in, in professional services, where like literally that video time is all they're ever going to get to see of you. And, and they want to know that, you know, that there is a hunger for that. Um, so there can be the assumption that that's not valuable, but, uh, but that's, that's one of those insights that we can add or just the one you just shared, like equality of experience of the members of the call can be a big deal. Um, cause when you have certain group of people in person and a certain group of people that are remote, you have two, a two tier experience. Um, and so that can make the remote folks feel not as included, uh, or not as, not as much of a participant. And there's a way mm -hmm. to mitigate that, right? Go to everyone's, everyone's remote, even if you're next to each other. Yeah. Um, to give it, give that. So those are sneaky. Those are those are sneakier insights than than uh, I think. Sometimes we yeah. we we take we take them for granted once we're you know well well past them, right? But um, they're not obvious. Yeah, silly jokes on Slack or whatever your Slack equivalent. Yeah, we have a random is. channel. Like, yeah, random channels. Uh, you know, gifts. Those types Don't. of things tend to create that kind of like water cooler chat that you might have. Uh, you learn we stuff have from a, it. Let me yeah, share a we learning have a that we had. Who, okay. Yeah. Ahead. Oh, um, please. Yes, please. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, this is very important. Very important stuff. So okay. we, I learned this past <laughs> week in our random channel that it's easier to find Honda Civic right front lights than it is to find Honda Civic red, uh, left front lights on for use oh parts. <laughs> I don't know. I was just looking through the random yeah. channel. I was like, what is going on? My whole team is like sharing <laughs> eBay links. And our, apparently our designer was trying to like find, because he's, he's in another country and he was trying to find replacement part. And there was a ton of like right front headlights, but he couldn't find the one he needed, which was a left front headlight. And it was like this big thing. And I was like, I wonder what the statistics are. Like, why are all these civics <laughs> have replacement parts with this headlight? And, I, and it made me awesome. smile. Like, it, I don't know if my team thought yeah. I was being sarcastic in the random channel because yeah. I popped oh. in out of after like an hour-long catch-up of what was going on with this specific <laughs> front headlight and i was yes. like i love this and i think everyone was like uneasy like is yeah. he being sarcastic or we, does he really we love had it? We one, and i don't <laughs> know I was like, how I we got started it. please don't ask me how we got started but there was some joke that the romanians started about how they went home to their villages and they had outhouses and then for an hour everybody posted <laughs> pictures of outhouses well, here's mine. Here's mine. Here's what we do over this country. And here's this other thing. And the latest joke is COVID-19, the coronavirus, is um, is really scary because it looks like a Jira ticket. Oh, it does? Yeah. <laughs> like and, the molecular so structure the of it? Oh saying, well, is that, no, a, is that, that a feature or an <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a is this is that a steel oh, threat? So and then great. somebody had the world's best pun, and I feel like I want to um, I want to look it up because Gary just slayed with it. But um, yeah, I don't remember what it is, but it's really funny. And that that those kinds of silliness that where you can get a whole bunch of people all over the place, I think that does connect, give some of that connective um, tissue. It does. It's like it's like when the when it's like it's like a little reset. Like there's a, yeah. there's a point in everything where every, like you say some humor will do and that, that'll just reset. Everyone will laugh and then you oxygenate your blood. Right. And then yeah. <laughs> everyone just kind of like, it just makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, inherently what we, in the process of building products and, and I think actually in business and probably life in general, there's inherently a level of tension. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, humor is such a great lubricant um, and a way to reduce some of that, that interpersonal friction and tension that is just inherent. Like it's, it, nobody did anything wrong. It's just humans doing human things together. Um, and, and can, you know, that you have constraints and you have objectives and that those inherently yield these, uh, this extra heat. Um, and so humor is just a great way to metabolize and, and reduce, reduce some of that. Um, you want to so get powerful. weird for yeah. a second? Yeah. So when you're laughing, <laughs> when you're laughing, the reason why it feels good is because you're, you're jolting your organs around and your body is releasing, uh, <laughs> some chemical to help with like a painkiller. <laughs> dopamine or oxytocin something. or something I, I don't know i heard someone like actually explaining like the science of laughter and it was a while ago so wow. my memory but if you want to dig into that like your 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 organs like convulsing and then your body's releasing uh this essentially like painkiller type deal um which i'm i'm absolutely like slaughtering it that's like not what it is but it's something <laughs> that's making you feel good yeah but uh if you because that's if you if you laugh too long for too hard it starts to hurt because it wears mm. off yes yeah, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, all but those are the things that <laughs> those are the things that you get. Great. Like that's when. But I mean, that's the fun part. But I think people forget that the fun part matters too. It does. Uh, it's yeah. not just the exchange of information. It's not just the um, the other things. But it's like you have fun. You have a sense that you're part of a community, and when you can get people from all over the place exchanging things. Um, I think it's a lot of fun and, and a lot of thing helps. And the other thing I would encourage that I've heard from, I've heard other people do is they have like open, open sessions where do you want to see what the product team is up to? Do you want to see what the UX team is up to? Do you want to see what these, and then trying to cross post into different channels to share across so that you're, you know, if you're in your project team and you're on your, your front end community of practice that someone from UN UX could crash in and say, Hey, what about this guys? And, and you can come into their channel and, and try to pop, try to cross spaces, I think might, is one of the things I think might be useful um, because, you know, there are definitely people in our organization who never intersect with our sales team, um, mm. who never uh, intersect with our commercial team. So they don't quite understand what they do. And so how do we create more cross-pollination? So when that salesperson is asking you to do something, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, well, you don't know who, they, you don't know them and you don't know what they're trying to do. Um, that's where I think it's going to be interesting to see this experiment and in this mm. grand working from home. My husband, they're going to have 50,000 people work from home on Monday. They want to stress test their BPM. What company is that? Capital One. Capital One? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. They got fifty thousand people work from home on Monday. Don't quote me on that because the yeah. number might be right, but that's what I recall. It's quoted. Like, it, I actually wrote it into a book just now. Oh, <laughs> it's awesome. history. Uh, yeah, Can't but yeah, it. they're gonna yeah. they're gonna stress test their VPN, and they're gonna have a lot. They're gonna a lot of these VPNs and Zoom. Their stock is up a bunch. Oh, I love Zoom. Harry's the man, by the way. Yeah. Have you listened so, to that podcast we had of Harry? No, I'm going to have to. Dude, that guy is so so chill. Like, <laughs> he is. He's like one of those people that is just really. He, he's got this unique energy about him, and it's uh, it's, there's a lot of gravity there. But just yeah, yeah, he makes you feel good, and he's got a very well, stable. Yeah. Yeah. On the innovation engine, we ask at the moment, we're asking guests two questions and, okay. and I'll ask you them in a second. But one of them is what piece of technology that is not your phone, please answer, do you use all the time? Okay. Got it. I already know it. Tiffany's answer? answer was Zoom. What's yours? Oh, a scale. Like a, like, a, like I weigh my food. 
You oh, weigh your food. I weigh everything I eat. Yeah, like I, I, I scale since since didn't uh, see that coming. Three th- uh, January since beginning of January, I decided I okay. wanted to understand how my body responds to different macro uh, proportions. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And then I also wanted to understand because uh, I used to be really fat. Like I used to be almost three hundred pounds, and mm. so oh, I lost the weight, but I basically did it just by like starving myself for years. And then that worked, right? Because I or I just ate less. It's not star- if you're yeah. if you're 300 pounds, you're saying you're starving yourself, but you're really just eating the appropriate amount of calories, yeah. <laughs> right? But <laughs> it feels like you're starving. But then I I you know went up and down and like maintained and like you know I'm about like six foot like 160 ish, and then I decided you know I did I did the maintenance thing and I was happy not to be fat for about mm-hmm. 10 years, and then I was like oh I kind of want to like you know, work out more and, and do better energy. And what happens is I travel like extensively and then I stop and then like, yeah. I'm very active and then I'm not active and it mm-hmm. really yeah. adjusts my diets and cal- And so I was like, all right, for 2020, my thing this year is to understand like everything about how my body works and processes food. So I got blood wow. tests to understand like mm. what foods I'm uh, developed different antibodies to. So like, I know like my body likes almonds more than it likes walnuts, things like that. Yeah. And, oh, wow. and I, I just got really nerdy about my health because I turned 32 and had two kids. And I was like, all right, I'm going to spend a year focusing on my yeah. health. And so one of those things is like, you never know how much food you're actually getting. And when you start weighing it, like on the mm. grams, you realize, oh my goodness, it is so easy to overeat or undereat. And in a given day, your body through hunger, like maps it out. But if you want to be yeah. like, exact so the scale hmm. scale is one wow. that I'm using a lot so wow. there, once we t- said you're not allowed to say your phone we've been getting some really really interesting answers okay so here's the other one mm-hmm. how what do you look for to tell you that a team or an organization is healthy or unhealthy uh well, the, i want to give you a better answer than culture but i mean you know, definitely revenue is there because there's like the financial side of health and then there's the yeah. psychological side of health. So I would look at how the, I guess if you, if you want to tell if an entire organization's healthy, I would look at the executive team. Um, I could probably just yeah look at them, a picture of mm-hmm. them, like for real, like how they actually look, not like the picture they took for their stock price. <laughs> not for uh, the website. <laughs> yeah, not that. If you just put them all in front of me, I could probably tell you if I could just walk around them. I don't even have to talk to them. I probably just look at them because your yeah. physical health is, is it's, you can't, we'd love to mm. think our mind is separate from our body, but it's not like you, I, it's, yeah. it's a, I can tell how your mind's operating by looking at your body. Like I can have mm. a good idea. And then of course you need to look at their financials um, yeah. to tell the health of the business. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, if you look at a, a downturn of financials over a couple quarters, yeah. those people aren't looking real healthy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. usually looking pretty mm-hmm. stressed out and if they are looking healthy it's the problem right like there's something yeah. odd going on it's like right, right. the commitment's not there or something Bernie right. I would say, yeah i mean yeah <laughs> well when the exact team doesn't work the company doesn't work yeah. of course um when the rest of the company has to try to circumvent the exact team's dysfunction and i've seen it a lot and working with clients um that so so i well, the funny thing the one thing i looked at did they say we if they're like engineering once and sales once and these people want it's like well what we're trying to do here like, oh okay 
that's a good indicator. Like, to me, oh, that's a good indication. It's like, mm. if they're like, well, we really think it's important that we're doing these things and we're really focused on that. It's like, that sounds good. It's like, well, sales, you know, sales, they just care about their numbers and customer success just cares about their numbers. And these people, engineers don't want to do any work. So it's like, okay, that's probably not, that's probably not healthy. But when people say we, when they have that kind of shared sense of community and, and that is simple in, in a kind mm. of like, they're not thinking about it. it. That's just the word that comes out of their mouth. So it's how that's they talk. Probably, so that's, that's better than the, culture because culture is too I think robotic, the language yeah. is an indicator mm -hmm. of that unconscious behavior that the culture is enshrined in them. That's true because like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't single out Jake like production. Like I don't see, I don't yeah. tend to single out people. I, I yeah. tend to talk about the ideas that we're trying to bring into mm -hmm. reality. Like we want to do this. We we're trying to build this type of product. This is what matters to us. And, yeah. and I guess I don't think about it much because we're only a handful of people here, right? We're under 20 yeah. people, but I guess if you amplify that forward and I think about the other people I've talked to that, that are running companies, they do talk like that still, even though they're that big. Mm -hmm. I've seen companies of like 10. Oh, there was a really funny thing. Uh, I had a company startup um, in like using phones to measure how you're driving or making decisions based uh -huh. on algorithms, technically really advanced. But the head, there were maybe 10 people, the head of product and the head of engineering had their own separate feature lists and things that they wanted to do. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so I'm in the room with them and I'm like, guys, do you think that's a good idea? And then I go and talk to the CEO in another room and I'm like, you need to put a stop to that, like now, like right now. And he's like, eh. and so we went, we all go back into the room. I'm like, okay, this done. We're not doing it anymore. It's not happening. Mm. That's ridiculous. You work off one backlog. And it's ridiculous that I had to be the one to do it, <laughs> but it was like, yeah. that was like 10 people. And they also tried to tell me that, oh, we, you know, we're in, we're in a different city. Like I know teams that are in different countries that are 10 hours apart and they can do this. So like, stop the excuses. <laughs> <laughs> stop. I'm not that, I'm not usually that aggressive. I'm usually Sometimes much nicer. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> And it's yeah. wonderful. You're blunt and you're, <laughs> you, you have a point to make and it's usually really insightful and correct, but yes, you are. <laughs> it's amazing how we're all adults, but like you can go into a room full of adults and realize there's no adults. There's no adults no in the room. Adults. Yeah. Or no one wants to do the hard thing. And this is, this is what I think is so cool is like to do this stuff, it takes a lot of humanity, right? We talk about humility, vulnerability, yeah. courage. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about themes that are incredibly human. Um, and yeah, technology is on the, is, is part of the picture, but it's not about the technology. It's really about the humanity, yeah. the humanity we serve, the humanity, the humans coming together to, to adjudicate the constraints and the opportunity. Um, yeah, and it takes all of those things. So yeah, you got to go into the room and have a hard conversation about yeah. priorities. You do. That's what, yeah. that's what good leadership is going to be about. And, and that's okay. And it's going to be hard and that's okay too. But I think that's such an important part of it is to acknowledge that it's going to be hard and it's okay. And it's normal. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I remember I told a, I told a client actually that worked with Jess. Um, she did a, she helped them with a transformation and they came to an event of ours and I hadn't, I hadn't met um, this individual and executive there. And he was talking about, you know, we're going through this replatforming now and it's so hard. And if I'd only known then what I know now, and I was like, Hey, I'm going to stop you there. Like, just, you know, the two things that I'd want you to think about, and this is literally where we just passed each other, hi, nice to meet you, and having this chat. And, and I was like, one thing is everybody 
accrues tech debt early. You make those short-term decisions mm -hmm. because you don't have a long-term. You're trying to get to a long-term. Congratulations, you have a long-term now. You get the opportunity to replatform. And everybody feels like, wow, if I'd only known then what I know now, I would have made totally different decisions. And that's wrong. Like you, you should celebrate the success and understand that this is hard. It's always yeah. hard. And it's totally normal. And he was like, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing that <laughs> because like I've really been struggling with like, gosh, I just, we made so many mistakes. It's like, you didn't make any mistakes. You were yeah. doing exactly what you should do under those circumstances. And it's okay. Now yeah. go, go back to the slog. It is a slog. I totally get it. It's, it's hard as heck to navigate now. But fact is you have a business worth replatforming. Congratulations. I think you, you talk about the humility and the vulnerability, but also you're going to have to forgive others because we're all going to get cranky and misbehave mm. and you're going to have to forgive yourself. Resiliency. Um, yeah. That resiliency of like, you will Compassion. have made mistakes and some of those are going to be harder to forgive than others. And something that I've had to go through fairly recently, having been through the massive growth that I've been at three pillars, all of a sudden someone shows up who tells you that like, wait, what you're doing, what you're doing it how and you're like you feel you feel under attack and you feel like completely a mess and 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 it's rough and now it's funny because now people come in they're like wait you do it how like this is all wrong we have to change all this and you're like great welcome if we hadn't just made it up a while ago you wouldn't be here today <laughs> let's get to work and so that, and let's, that, go make it, let's go make it better let's let's go make it work yep. and so i i would say like me personally having been through so much rapid growth there were definitely times where i had to forgive myself and i had to forgive other people and i had to say yeah you know what i i would do it differently if i knew i'd do it again but no one ever gets to do it again yeah. all i get to do is try to carry forward what i've learned to share what i've learned to make other people not feel alone in that moment of turmoil and and hopefully i'm I'm a good friend and a good colleague and we we figure these things out but like yeah i i uh, i have definitely experienced that that sense of oh god i'm such a disaster all these people have come in and said i'm a, you know we're terrible but and then then only to realize well yeah we got work to do let's go yeah and i like that you bring this up so what I tend to be like a perfectionist overachiever. And so no. I focus the context Shocking. of most of my conversations. <laughs> of let's assume that we start with a driven person because I everyone can always flip the perspective and say, oh, mm -hmm. but if you say good enough, then they're shipping poor, like horrible, sloppy. Like, yeah. no, let's start with somebody who's like driven and is trying to accomplish something. And because I can take someone who's running and I can like point them in the right direction, or mm -hmm. I can take someone mm -hmm. who's like a perfectionist and I can let them know how much we can pull back and it be good enough. Yep. But one of the things that really stuck with me is when I heard um, Bill Nye, you know, science guy, mm -hmm. he was talking about evolution and he's like, it's not mm -hmm. perfect, but we have this concept of good enough. Does it get us to the next generation? Yeah. And when I heard that, I'm always like, you know, if it's good enough for the evolution of life itself as a theory, <laughs> then it's good enough for me to use as a valid point to get myself to let something go. Furthermore, yeah. I was then talking with our venture capital firm. Um, and there's so many different people there too, like different styles of people at our VC. But there's yeah. one guy and he's known as like a hard ass. His name's Tom. He's great human being but he'll make sure your company survives but you're not going to necessarily yeah. like everything he says mm. yeah. he came in and talked to me and he said you know joel i can tell you're a smart guy you're a product guy you know i was open that i don't have a sales background 
And he says, I know you really care about the product and you want it to be great. And you put a lot of focus on that. And he goes, that's awesome. He goes, but look, I want you to, I want you to think about this. If you have money coming in, if you have revenue streams happening, you can solve anything with the revenue. He goes, but without the revenue coming in, you're screwed. Like you have to have revenue coming in because you're going to have lots of problems. And so you can make mistakes. You can do things. You can get the product out the door into the customer's hand and get that revenue coming in. Then you can hire smarter people and you can do Mm. all of this stuff. But I had had a really tough time finding sales, like salespeople, because I didn't know what it looked like. It was like a salesperson trying to hire an engineer. Right? Is that yeah. your cousin's nephew who built a yeah. WordPress site? Right? You code, or, right? Yeah. Like, right? I mean, yeah. It's code. Yeah. Because yeah. they only have to know one percent more than you, right? Yep. Like to 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 pass. And so I got one of the skills I've had to develop over the past years was understanding what does a salesperson like look like. What, yeah. what does a good salesperson look like? And what does a good salesperson look like in the context of the product I have? Mm. Yeah. And that's been a, a journey for me, and it's been it's been really difficult. But I know you guys focus a lot on your products about making sure that they're revenue positive and, and maybe that's a segue for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, so, I mean, we talk about craft a lot. Marketing's a craft. Sales is a craft. Finance Absolutely. is a craft. Leading and organizing people is a, is a craft. They're all crafts uh, deserving of respect and consideration. I think sometimes sales is a under respected craft. And it is truly a craft. It takes years to learn. It takes a lot of training investment. It takes good tools and processes. And one of the things I'm most excited about that we've done in 2020 is we hired a head of commercial enablement. We hired somebody who actually knows how to put in the right systems to onboard and train and yeah. the processes around our, our sales team. And to see that really, and to also be, be like, okay, I've been making it up for the last couple of years, but you know what you're doing. So go, go have fun. Um, I think it just transforms like good sales is important, but there's also something to be said for when product and as someone who spent the last six years of my life selling so that I could keep my PNL, I have a PNL and I got to keep it in the, those numbers looking good, you know, getting out into the world, having to describe your product, having to talk to your customers, knowing what they look like, what they're struggling with, what they're trying to do is tremendously important for any product leader. You can't be sitting in the building looking at a spreadsheet and think you're gonna make a good product. You gotta get outside and you gotta talk to people. And if you can't explain in an easy, quick way why your product is valuable, you have a problem. And it's only by getting out into the world that you can really start to pitch. So having good salespeople, also salespeople who will tell you that your pitch is bad, and that you need to, you know, thinking about the sales process, like that's going to help refine what you're doing on the product perspective, on the marketing perspective, on all those other things that you have to do. And so selling is an, an important part of a good, any good product leaders um, toolkit. The good news is most product leaders, they've been selling forever. I love it when people say, well, I'm going to go own this product. I'm like, okay, good luck. Because you don't, I, do, what do you own? What do you get to make decisions on by yourself <laughs> independently without having to get buy-in on those decisions from other groups and your boss? So you're going to have to get out into the world and, and sell. You're going to have to be able to explain yourself. You're going to have to understand their problems. You're going to have to connect their problems to your solution. Um, you're going to need insight and influence. All of it. Yeah. Um, and so that's a skill that anybody who wants to come, and if you are, if you aspire to be more than an engineer 
if you want to be a CTO, if you want to be a VP of engineering, you're going to have to sell. You're or if you just want to be, be the best engineer it. you could ever be. Yeah. Like, if you, you want to, if you want people to yeah. adapt standards that you think are important, yeah. you're going to have to sell that. Yeah. Influence is hugely important in, in technology teams. Absolutely. The best ideas should rise to the top. You have to be able to talk about how, why, why a solution is better than another. Absolutely. And I love that word, but it definitely has an emotional charge with some people. Some people yeah. really look negative yeah. at that word influence, but I don't, mm. and I, maybe even I did at first sight, but after I understood, like, there's not a better word, like, for it. And the only way you can get it is by being, like, exceptionally good. Like, you, you to, to have influence, it's like to have trust, right? It's to have respect yeah. for your contributions to moving yourself and your team forward. Like, yeah. it's a hard thing to get. It is. And, 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 you know, keeping with the, the humanity theme, like authenticity can be so important to that as well. Like in order to have influence and that trend to engender trust, uh, authenticity can be a really important part of it. Listening can be a really important part of it. So it's not, people think about influence and it's about propaganda. It's about convincing you of something that isn't true. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, no, like really good influence is advocating for the best ideas and being open to your idea, not being the best, because that's going to, that's going to actually in a, in a human system, like a team, that's going to create, um, that's going to give you more influence, right? People are going to be well, going to want to yeah. trust you more. Um, you know, and I, I saw this in action and when, you know, junior engineers would, would progress through their careers and seeing them grow to where they were like, I have an idea what the right answer is, but I actually want to hear from the team first yeah. um, because I want, I don't, I want to make sure that I'm not blinded to, to better ideas. And I, and I have enough respect for the team and just to see how that increased their, their, leadership and their influence with the team then um, because the best idea should win. And when you, when you want that, um, that increases your influence and your ability to shepherd the, the flock through the, through difficult decisions. We have an episode that I absolutely love. We had someone coming on his name is Artie Rivera and Artie's the director of UX at Mobile Posse. And so Artie was actually on my team and uh, Artie, so um, Stanford educated designer, um, loves the big words um <laughs> and just so um innovative and transformative and, and wonderful ideas but sometimes struggle to connect and and then you know a couple of years have gone by we kept in touch we invited him onto the podcast and what i saw there was i didn't see a designer i didn't see a design leader i saw a business leader I saw someone who truly understood the business he was in, the customers he was serving, the communication alignment he needed to drive through the organization to get them to do things like implement design systems. That transformation from a designer with brilliant ideas that people didn't necessarily always understood or didn't necessarily all get behind to a true business leader who had outsized impact on his organization, not just in the design, but in, in helping grow the revenue and the customer satisfaction and amazing. Like it just warms my heart. He talked so about much. using design systems to change the culture and, and create alignment in the organization for sales who wants a consistent user experience and engineers who want to be able to, to get work done um, repeatably and, and predictably. And it was, it was really neat to watch. Yeah. That was a neat See, moment. And I bet you, he could not have made those transitions without people being direct and real throughout his growth and progress as an individual. I have found mm -hmm. being indirect or passive is the, the, a disservice to the individuals that you work with. 
because without, you know, you rarely do you hear something once and make a change. And so mm -hmm. if you start hearing things from all different people in your life, you're hearing it maybe from your family or from this group of workers or this group of workers, that's the only, like it takes the village, right? Like it takes being able yeah. to hear that feedback multiple times uh, in order to do something, especially from people you respect. So whenever, whenever I see people shy to, to give that feedback, what I, what I talk with them about is that, that shyness is because you, you've, you haven't developed the skill of framing because once you develop the skill of framing, you get this you ability to figure out how it could be valuable to them to share this information. And then once you figure that out, it's just about delivering it with candor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Hashtag real talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to upset people. I don't. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt you. Uh, but if the, what I always try to say to myself is, this is happening because nobody before said anything, and it will continue to happen unless I say something. And even then, I will be straight that I I struggle with this. Mm -hmm. And if none of those things work, I always just remind myself, if you love something, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now we're in Frozen. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> have you seen Frozen oh. 2? Oh, my yes, goodness. I have. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Took oh. the time. Oh, yeah. No. It's a good story. It is a good story. Is like, it? As, as a fan of story, like I read like Robert McKee and stuff like that, like as story people that that talk about articulating stories in different ways and yeah. it's a good i mean it's disney but it's a good story <sighs> we i have the frozen two dress in my house i have hilarious video of my two-year-old singing let it go like Dear, i they are such evil marketing geniuses yeah, i thought we were gonna miss the whole frozen thing because of the ages of my daughters mm -hmm. oh no 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 no, no. there's we a are, long tail there yeah. There, Frozen is well, downloaded on my Spotify and my phone. We listen to um, uh, two and five. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're, they're still in that two age. And five. Yeah. 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 So I have a 10 year old boy that, like, if Frozen comes on, he runs. <laughs> he runs. <laughs> he just can't handle it at all. Um, and I've got a daughter who's like, ha ha. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing good happens when, when Let It Go comes on. <laughs> Tell him to start studying it so he could talk to the other girls about. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he hasn't discovered all uh, he hasn't discovered girls yet. So we'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> good. We're good. Oh, that's that's Jessica's the uh, new new podcast, the the product parent. <laughs> the product parent. Yeah, there you go. The parent mindset. Right? Uh, the parent mindset. Right, I wow. barely have this together. It could fall apart on any moment. <laughs> it's uh, all hanging by a thread. It takes a village. Um that is yes. mysteriously absent. <laughs> yeah. I give my well, life credit. Yeah. Yeah. Time. I was going to say that my mom has been on five business trips for three pillar. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Including that's going to Romania. True fact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when my girls were under one, they traveled with me. So my mom has been with me and had dinner with folks on my team. And uh, my parents live uh, three miles away from me. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm tremendously, it takes a lot of people are, it takes a lot of help. I want a book from you about like, so actually Sheila Jordan, uh, former CIO at Symantec and now 
moved to some other big company, but I know it's on the East Coast. Um, but she was awesome. It was a good past episode. But she uh, she wrote a book about like uh, being a, a parent and a, a executive and having kids yeah. and things like that. And then you don't. Have, I didn't read it, but I bought it for my wife. Um, but I would be interested because. I actually have a, a two and a half year old and a, and a one year old right now. And I give my wife like infinite credit. I was like, you're raising these kids by yourself. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing how, how awesome you are at this. And <clears throat> like, I think I really respect you a lot, Jessica. And I think that there's like at least a long form blog post that you could put out there that would help um, other people that are experiencing going through the same thing you are uh, yeah. because yeah, you're, you've got unique thoughts and I, I think you should put something out there. You should put more content out there. That's that's something I actually recommended to Chloe. I don't know if she yeah. ever passed that along to you, but I was like, tell Jessica to put more content because we try to research mm. you before we go. Yeah, I, I like, mean, I, yeah, um, I've, yeah. You got to practice what you, what you preach, Jess. I know, I know, I know. I, I, I've been putting out um, some, not as much, because uh, we had a lot of um, speaking and things around the book, but I've, I'm starting to warm up again. Um I would encourage, I would say, plug here, um, Uplift Parents. Uplift Parents? Um, hmm. Uplift Parents. Um, the It's founded by a woman named Carrie. And I'm blanking on her last name. But it is a coaching service for working moms. And have you used they, this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was a client. I was like one of their first clients. And uh, it's a combination of content and community and, and a coach who... Um, teaches you some practical strategies, but also helps you, you know, that the whole notion of self-compassion came from them. Mm. And, and also, you know, a, I'm going to always support, you know, another woman who's starting, trying to start a business, but um, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of support. I'm very fortunate to have people around me. I think so often a, anything in, in business or tech, we try to think of it as one person's effort and not a darn thing happens by one person doing it everything takes a team and being a parent takes a team. Uh, it takes, um, I'm so fortunate that my mom and my dad and my brother and his wife and um, my in-laws are, are on this team with me, that my colleagues are on this team with me, um, that my clients are on this team with me and that, you know, people are flexing and being flexible and, and being supportive and whether it's just say, yeah, I know how it is, that sucks, to, okay, what do we need to do to make this possible for you? Nothing is going to get done by yourself. It, it does take a really supportive environment and a group of people and people that you pay too. And you know what? I think now that you're talking about that, it, it reminded me about like the Capital One or the 50,000 people. What, what yeah. gave me the freedom to go from caring about everyone being in the office to, to being okay with like remote stuff as an entrepreneur is knowing that if these business value items happen, that that's the important part. And then giving them yep. the freedom to like execute, like you execute on your own time, as long as these things happen that tie back yep. to revenue so we can all get paychecks. But I think what that'll yep. do for, <clears throat> for that company is it'll force them to define that for all the positions. Yeah. yeah and actually I, I will say that they're, they're pretty good. Um, uh, and I have looked through their benefits package because we have to, you know, open enrollment. But I think a lot of companies are, are coming around to this thing. And one of the things that makes me very excited that I think that's good for everybody is there's more focus on parental leave. Um, and, you know, I don't know a man 
uh, a father that I work with or I'm friends with who doesn't want to be deeply involved in the lives of their children. I don't know a single one. Hmm. Um, I, ha I know a lot of fathers who want to be able to spend time with their newborns, who want to go to sports events, who want to have special outings with their kids. Um, they want to be there too. They want flexibility too. And when we're all advocating for flexibility, that's better for everyone, not just moms. And so um, I think it has to not just be mothers telling the stories of what it's like to juggle, but we need more fathers telling the stories of how they juggle and the struggle that they have to balance their children and their family. We need to everybody to kind of like, you know, I know that men are feeling, but they're often not asked. So if we're asking about how you balance stuff, we need to ask everybody. We need to ask dads, we need to ask moms, we need to ask step parents to say like, these things are happening. People are, are needing to do it. They need flexibility. They need programs that support them. And if you want to be a competitive employer, um, dealing with these upcoming, these new parents, these upcoming parents, get with the program because the program is flexibility and the program is dad want, dads want to participate too. So we actually just changed our parental leave and we have a much nicer uh, benefit for, for dads. My husband stayed home with me for the first month um, and then he went back to work for a month and then he stayed home with my younger daughter for another month. So he had time with her. That made a tremendous impact on their ability to bond. And so it's not just how companies need to support moms. We need companies to support dads too. And when they do, it's going to be a less stigma on everybody to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. And Scott, and I, I think, I think, uh, we need to, uh, as an entrepreneur and executives, we <clears throat> usually master some craft and we, we get through that stage and then we figure out how to manage a team and then we get to that stage and then we get to the stage where we're like teams of teams and we have to take care of ourselves and we're forced to do that because it's not just straight output, straight physical work. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we start thinking about these higher level concepts and get you know, out of the office and, and figure out how to balance our lives in different ways and how to structure things. But then we start to want that for our other people because it's like once we figure out how to structure our lives in a way that we're not stressed out but we're getting the things that need to be done done we're fo we figured out how to learn that skill of focusing on the right things and we mm -hmm. want to help other people get to get to that level and i want like i think the entire way we look at work is changing i mean for hundred thousand years we didn't go into offices and stuff. This only happened in like the industrial revolution, right? <laughs> right and right. now we're realizing that, okay, the way that we, there, it's, it's possible. You look at companies like Slack, who is completely remote. They don't have like, mm -hmm. or, no, no, or I'm sorry, Envision, one of my design tools I like, like pretty much completely remote. Basecamp like, maybe? Basecamp too. Basecamp, Atlassian, yeah. I think as well. Atlassian, I think they're, they're, they're a lot remote, but um, yeah, but it's the ability to give this quality of life of let's move the economy forward. Let's do good work, uh, and, and then spread that. I think it's, it's super important because things like family and spending mm -hmm. time, uh, those make life like I, the re-energization from, from those types of moments and being flexible and not being tied to a desk. We actually say that in our company onboarding. I'd say every single time I say, I never want anyone to feel like they're chained to a desk. Yeah. Ever. Mm -hmm. the, the principle that I always come back to is like, cause there is, there is a, um, a class of human. So I'll come back to, to Marty Kagan and, and he, he coined this phrase Love off somewhat else, but Marty Kagan talks about missionaries versus mercenaries and talks about it all the time. And it's so true. So if you hire missionaries and this is important, you have to know what you're working with, right? If you hire people who are like, Hey, look at how much I get paid and I barely do any work, right? Those types of people, 
that then you have to take a different management approach to. But those aren't the people that I work with. People that I work with are missionaries. They show up because work is fun. Work is gratifying. It fulfills a need for, for us. Um, and, you know, but I always, I always remind everybody because I, you know, I tend to, I, I like work and I probably work more hours than I should, but I try to be very clear with everybody um, around me. Real life happens outside of work. Work is for fun. Like I get something out of this and yes, I have to do it for a paycheck, but I don't come here because of the paycheck. I come here because I really like doing this. I like doing the work. Um, but, but real life is out there. And so we have to keep that perspective in mind. I'm here to support the humans that I get the opportunity to work with. I respect them. I see them as humans. I, I don't need to know all, all about their personal lives. I, I'll, I'll obviously engage at any level they're comfortable with. But, um, but I think once you, once you, if you want to build a, a healthy ecosystem, again, uh, I'm going to come back to this catchphrase, but it's, it's important. You got to bring the humanity in, right? And we have to see you as human. So a, re a requirement to be here by 8 a.m. every day doesn't produce a result for the company, and it treats you like you're like you have some really re predictable life outside of the walls of the company. How is that realistic? That's not me respecting the fact that you you lead a real life. Um, at the same time, we got to make informed trade-offs, and I need I need good judgment. Uh, what I always find really interesting is when we treat people as if they don't have good judgment, but the job the requirements of the job require good judgment. Right. And, you know, like when you start requiring that someone show up at 8 a.m., regardless of whether the company needs it, you're saying, I don't trust you, but I want you to go up and make like $100,000 or a million dollar decision. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> like, that makes no sense. So how about this? You use good judgment and yeah. we have a conversation about what are the principles behind good judgment? What are the things that they, when you're making these trade-offs, how do I see those things? Let's have that conversation so that you can make a confident decision that I, I, I'm not going to be a part of. Um, and, and if you make it wrong, then we'll talk about that and we'll, we'll try to adjust as we go. But I need good judgment to build products, for example, or to do mostly anything in, in business today. Um, and so why would, you not, why would I not expect that they would um, use that judgment in, in all facets of work? I do encourage people to design their weeks. Ooh, I like that. Especially mm. as a, so we're a global company. So I don't have a normal um, schedule by any stretch. So all of a sudden, everything can kind of, you can look up and the whole day is gone because you're talking to people early in the morning from other parts of the country. And then maybe you have to talk to someone on the West Coast. So it can become like all of a sudden, the whole day is gone. And I haven't necessarily, so all that's in your inbox is somebody else's agenda. So think about like, what do you actually want to do? What's important to you? Time every day with my kids is important to me. I put it on a calendar. Getting a good night's sleep is important to me. I put it on the calendar. Um, getting a workout in is important to me. I put that on the calendar. Um, some people put date night on the calendar. Some people put like, whatever your thing is, it doesn't have to be family. Maybe it's painting. Maybe it's um, hiking. If things are necessary to keep you healthy and happy in a sustainable world, and you need to carve that out for yourself because you have kind of a funky schedule, just do that. So like, for example, I'll do a morning block where I'll go early in the morning to mid morning and I'll just talk to people all morning and then I'm going to stop and maybe I'll go for a run before I go to the office or maybe I'll um, do some laundry before I go to the office. So those things are getting done. So I think about like blocks of time for different things such that I'm not working because I enjoy my work too, but all of a sudden other things that are important to me aren't happening because I've now let other people decide what's going to happen with my time. 
And so I, just like you pay yourself first with your 401k and your investments, like put time on your calendar for you, put time on your calendar for your family and for doing the simple, like keeping your house clean or whatever kind of things that, or, you know, other people and other, you know, maybe you're taking care of a family member or maybe you're, you're passionate about volunteering for a cause, like put that on the calendar too. Because if you don't put it on there, other people are going to take your time for things that may or may not be valuable to you. Yeah, I've been, I I like how you you talk about those blocks of time, because I found that too. And that aligns with with what I've been thinking about lately about your brain being a muscle. And like, you're Mm -hmm. not designed to use it like persistently. Like if you literally lift things every hour of the day, your arm will just give out and it'll be garbage and it won't even heal properly. If you do that the next day, you'll end Mm -hmm. up always walking around with a damaged arm right? It would never have the time to heal. So by using your brain and giving it breaks, like I'm going to use it for two hours and I'm going to go do some other stuff. Like I really believe it's a break doing laundry or something like that as compared to trying to solve a a, a brainy problem. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, any system, any machine running at, at near capacity for any sustained amount of time will break down. Um, doesn't matter how, how, how many, how much lubricant you apply to it, it will break down. Um, and so you do have to, uh, whether it's, I think the muscle metaphor works as well, but yeah, I think about human systems the same way. I, you know, I even think about it when a product team runs really hard at a release and I got, we have to take time back. We have to return a level of normalcy and, and sustainability to it. Um, because it won't, you can't storm the castle every release. Um, you, you can do that every once in a while. And it can be really fun to do, by the way. And I love it when we it's get super to fun. I love it. But if you do it all the time, if you get addicted to it, it, can, it has all kinds of deleterious uh, uh, impacts on the humans. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the law of diminishing returns, right? Mm-hmm. You eat your favorite That's sandwich right. every day. It doesn't become your favorite sandwich. You storm the castle every day. Yeah. People don't want to storm the castle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah that, the high is going to wear off. <laughs> yeah, I might have to go get a charger. No, we can, we can wrap it up. Dude, we did a two-hour okay. podcast. We did? I was about to say, Love we have been going yeah. for a while. All right. I, yeah. I, just, I just got the message from my laptop and it's like, uh, you're out. I was like, I started with a hundred. We, we, we wrecked it. We killed the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. We're, we're going to do this again. You, you were the first, uh, first guest that's come wow. back on Jessica and, uh, <laughs> and then, there you go. And then, uh, you're the first two hour podcast. I've been excited to do more of these because like the conversation really gets good. Like right around 45, 50 minutes, everyone starts yeah. clicking. So I'm like, let's let the podcast go a little longer. I That's love awesome. It. Yeah. This has yeah. Been, lo- been really yeah, fun. Yeah. Lots of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I think later in the year, I'll get to see you guys in person. Um, awesome. if we do, if we do one of those events, but, uh, send me a jacket or a hat, either one. Okay. Yeah, I we, will, we, we I will, we will talk to our marketing We, we know people. <laughs> I like the hoodie style. I wear a lot of hoodies. I don't wear a lot oh. of the, the, cause it's Florida. So I didn't wear, I didn't wear vests yeah. until this one, but you know, I, I get it. Yeah. We don't have any hoodies, but, um, I okay. have one, but it has, it says one team and it's like, it doesn't work. Um, that works. we'll, we'll figure it I'm out. I'm on the, I'm on the three pillar team. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't say three pillar in the front, which is what we want. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You have such a great day. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Joel. Bye. If you repeat results, you are in the business that is diagonally opposite to innovation. You know, I've heard people say it's all about execution. BlackBerry was executing really well. Trouble is, the world changed while they were busy executing. The most powerful catalyst for getting people into the right frame of mind to do something different and to innovate is actually the sharing of stories.
That's one of the few cases, the very few cases I've ever heard of the, a product team reporting to UX. For an organization oh, to wow. shift from a much more top-down culture to a UX team leading product, that's a that's a hmm. massive shift in how an organization has kind of changed their philosophy over time. And I think it was McKinsey just did something that came out in the last hmm. week about how design leadership is evolving, but yet companies are still struggling with it. Hmm. And that you know, design is getting its quote seat at the table, but mm -hmm. people are still struggling. You've risen through the ranks. So proud, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and um, how have how have you changed how you approach things and how you approach transformation that's allowing you to be in these situations where design can have a greater impact? So how do you help make that happen? Sure. Um, so a big part of that is the language that I use and being honestly just taking a taking a page from you know my design thinking human centered design that that is the kind of philosophy and mindset that I grew up with but a page from that book is saying take the language of the person you're trying to help um, and use that mm -hmm. to help them because that will help them help themselves so a big part of how I communicate has been trying to eliminate, and I'm still working on it, it's not perfect, eliminate as much design jargon as I can from my language and try to see the problem from the from my targets or the person I'm trying to help from their point of view mm -hmm. and understand the language they use to describe their problem. Uh, mm -hmm. So the example I gave before about mobile posse where they saw their problem as, you know, opt-in in terms of opt-in rates and in terms of the what they call the I what we call the eye test, what well, a lot of people call it, um, in front of potential big clients. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things that I was proposing, I would retranslate it so that they would come back to those points even while I was expanding the possibilities of, hey, this thing that's going to help us be more scalable and it's going to help us deliver things faster and it's going to help reduce the, our, our small QA problems and focus on the bigger QA problems. Okay. Mm -hmm. Am I on track for that question? I don't know if I hit so what you wanted me to hit. You're totally hitting in that already of two years ago would have had a whole different way of explaining that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're so wow. right. You're and right. <laughs> the artie the who's talking about, here's the business Mac direct, the business control, how I'm achieving that through design. Like, I don't think that already, so I it just getting to watch this is so wonderful because it's this, tra this transformation. Like I'm looking at a business leader who happens to be good at design. Thank you. That as opposed a to a design leader who sort of understands how the business works. <laughs> but, uh, so it's like, it's this transformation that's wonderful. It's, it's just a way, if, if, I, if I may, of it course. was like, I, I, re, I still remember some of my first engagements here at Three Pillar and I just, I, I smile and chuckle at how dog, dogmatic I was um, around <laughs> like, design thinking is everything and we need everyone to think about design thinking and blah, blah, like that was, that was kind of my, like my coming in and having that energy. And I mean, to a certain extent, it was, it was, I mean, it, it helped me succeed in some cases, but it was definitely not complete. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not. It was not the full picture. Well, there's something really, really wonderful about that. Like being really good at your craft is a, is a prerequisite. It's an ingredient. To the but how we move into the spaces between our craft and the people who need to be served in order to build great products and businesses. That's where the magic is. That's where the that's where the opportunity is to, to do something uh, truly, truly amazing. And then I'll go back to that part of your story where. You know, sales probably at Mobile Posse, this is just a guess, and, and you can comment on it, um, probably still doesn't understand design and will never understand the design design process the way that you do, but they see what they want 
in what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. And and, and yep. in using their language, as, as you pointed out, is so potent because then they see the thing they desire in the thing that you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. Um, if if they are, if I am helping them, if I'm facilitating their success and vice versa, I don't need to know the intimate details of how a sale is made. I'm, I'm intellectually curious about it, but in my day to day, that's not my, that's not my role but I know enough about it to help. And if they know enough about my stuff to be helped by it, then great, we are working as a partnership. Yep, yep, absolutely. That's really cool.